Welcome to Sisters, Friends and Guests. In this episode, I'm joined by Christine Dean, the Deputy Leader of the Women's Equality Party, and Maureen Ngozi Oibi Ezepazu. Both are running for seats in the Greater London Assembly in the forthcoming elections on May 6th. In this episode, I will be talking to them about their journey into politics, the Women's Equality Party, and their vision for women in London. Thank you so much for taking your time out this Saturday morning to join me. And I'm so looking forward to speaking to both of you about your journey into the political arena, about the Women's Equality Party, why you're part of the Women's Equality Party, and your vision for women in London. Yeah. Before we get into the nitty-gritty political stuff, I wonder if you could just start by um, just telling me a bit about yourselves. So if I start with you, Maureen? Oh, start with Christine. Okay, Christine. <laughs> I'm 56, a black woman, lived in London all of my life. I'm married um, with two children. My son, my, my daughter is 22. And she's a singer-songwriter, and I'm very proud of her. And she's just recently re- released her latest single. And my son is 16 and a half, going on 17, and he's an avid footballer, and that's what he wants to do. And he's just got into um, college to do a football academy and sports science, and I'm very proud of him too. Wow. And, you know, my husband is here also. I'm very proud of him, but uh, and he's part <laughs> of the family. And we've been living in London, East London, for most of their lives. And I used to practice as a lawyer about four years ago. I was in practice for about 25 years, first as a solicitor and then as a barrister. Um, And then I transitioned out of the law into um, HR. So I'm currently doing that. But whilst I've been doing my HR journey, I've been doing my political journey almost at the same time with um, WEP because as Maureen and I are both child protection advocates, and former she's current. And when I came out of the law, I really still had that need to to advocate for people who couldn't really speak for themselves. And that's why I decided to look for a political party that would satisfy that for me, but one that basically had the same core values as me, one where I felt I could actually support all of their policies. And that's the reason why I joined the um, Women's Equality Party. So that's basically me in a small nutshell as to where I started and currently where I am. Uh-huh. And just, I'm just curious, you moved from law to HR, why? Um, when I started out in the law, I started doing crime and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I decided to, I, had to, I thought I need to decide which one I could do because they weren't really compatible in terms of the level of work and type of work that I was interested in. And I decided to do family work. And then I was a general practitioner doing all sorts of family work. And then I really sort of got into being uh, doing child protection work. Um, So as a solicitor, I sort of qualified in relation to being a child protection specialist and did that kind of advocacy on behalf of children and guardians and grandparents, etc. And then long story short, there was lots of changes in terms of government funding, etc. for solicitors and independent um, consultants, which I was at the time doing that type of work. So I decided to go to the bar and then just do the advocacy full time. Did that for a while. And though I, you know, it was something I was really passionate about and and still very passionate about. It is very draining on you in terms of dealing with people and the worst day of their life that you've never met sometime, having their child removed, sometimes on that day. Many, many children sometimes. And there's a lot, obviously, it's a very difficult subject area to work in consistently Mm -hmm. over and over. And I, I just got to the point where I thought, I've done my time in this arena and I really need to, you know, do something else because I just couldn't see myself constantly doing this until I retired in terms of mentally for myself and 
having to do something other than this all of my life because it it is very draining and it's a very difficult subject subject area so I didn't want to abandon it as such but I just wanted to do something differently and also because I really felt that over the years nobody was fixing the problem and so instead of coming in at the end trying to salvage and change the end result, which is basically lots of women having their children removed. Why don't I start at the beginning and look mm-hmm. at the social problems and the issues and see what I can do politically to change and actually make things better for the, for the women that I was representing so that they actually didn't lose their children? So I, I, it's a different way of making an impact. And I thought that's what I can do now into my twilight years. So that's why I transitioned now. And I picked HR because my sister was a HR director and she said, you could do that. So I thought, OK, <laughs> Okay, that's literally the reason why. <laughs> that's a good way to make a decision. And, and how about you, Maureen? Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, how long you got? <laughs> my, my, my name is Maureen, OBS at Basel, and I always tell people, don't forget my name, because it's something you're going to see going forward, or you're going to come familiar with my name. So my journey started a very long time ago. So I was fostered as a child and very young child and in that foster placement uh, things happen that shouldn't happen to any child and I then returned to my my natural parents and my family home and my journey really began so I went to college and did an A level in law then I did a B tech national and diploma worked went into the industry went into worked with them um, a solicitor firm of solicitors for about a year and a half and I returned to the education system. And my education was slightly disrupted because of the things that happened to me when I was younger. So although I was deemed to be very bright and intelligent, that didn't necessarily equate into qualifications on paper. So what, that, what I did was I applied for this innovative course. It's called um, Access to Law. And it was very, the very first one in the whole of the country. It was the first one. And I um, applied and I got onto that course. And that's when my journey into the law began. Mm-hmm. And I got on that course and then I transitioned from there to when I passed that course to South Bank um, University, which is where I took my degree. Fantastic experience I had there. In my second year, I went to America and had this fabulous experience of the legal justice system in America, met judges etc people have went into jails and all sorts of things that really led me to say in myself I'm, this is the right journey for me so I complete my degree I get um, become qualified as a solicitor and that wasn't the route that I wanted to take and I'll tell you why I didn't want to take it I wanted to go to the bar but I was poor mm-hmm. my family were poor I could not afford to spend money on the dinners, have these dinners that you have to do and sit with people. I didn't have that money. I, well, I, I just couldn't. So when the choice came, and it was a reluctant choice, I'm not going to lie, I wanted to go to the bar. <laughs> but I ended up becoming a solicitor. But I don't regret that. It's almost as if destiny kind of pushed me into that kind of direction. And so I stayed there for 18 years. And in fact, that's where I met um, Christine. She didn't say that to you. We worked together as <laughs> child protection family advocates for a while and you know that meeting was ordained is that the right anyway it wasn't by accident it ne- things are never by accident and literally i stayed um as a sister ran uh, departments and christine left and she went off to the bar i remained as a sister heading up the department and i've got three children 
and, and a single parent. So on the birth of my second child, I, I had some maternity leave and they got rid of me. Literally, the department that I worked for was gone. Mm-hmm. And they said I couldn't come back. So I had to fight with them to get some money for the things that they did. It was terrible. Just, one, you know, I went off maternity leave, no job mm-hmm. to come back, no kind of career. So I then had to reinvent myself. And at that point, that's when I became a solicitor advocate, working at home for myself and doing the very work that I, I was really passionate about. So that's what where I got to. I was working for myself. And then the changes came, as Christine said. And it, what, what, those changes that came into the law kind of pushed me out. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so people weren't paying me for the work that I did. And I was like, I'm not having that, not doing that. And so I decided, like Christine, it's almost like I'm following her in everything she does. She <laughs> <It> was destined. <laughs> well, it's really, I, I think it's magic when I actually tell my story and I hear the things I say about it. But so it, it pushed me out and I said, right, I'm going to the bar. Now, I was mid-40s then. So this is like, you don't do this mid-40s. I didn't change career and go off to the bar and do all this sort of stuff. And I said, well, I don't care about that. I'm doing it anyway. And I was fortunate because I did not have to pass one exam. I didn't have to do any pupillage. <laughs> I walked literally, literally from being a solicitor on the Friday and on the Monday was a barrister. Now, that is a very unusual thing to happen. And it isn't the journey of most people. So I already knew that this was the right thing because all the doors were open. They weren't <laughs> closing on me for this. So then after I got to the bar, I, I attracted, and I'm going to put it that way, you know, some of the most eminent lawyers in, in, the, in the business. And I, 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 I can remember going to the interview for Tooks Chambers. Now, Tooks is like, at the time, it was this renowned chambers, human rights, you know, had this great um, advocate, a number of advocates there who were renowned in the, in the industry. And they wanted me. And I was like, yeah, good, that's good, that's cool. <laughs> so I became a barrister at Tooks. And then my, my actual, the, the thing that happened was that I, my practice just blossomed. Mm-hmm. People came to me and I got a bit of a reputation. I still, I still, I still think I've got it. But it, I, I say that, but the journey was still hard from my perspective. There, there were so many things that happened and they, they floor you. They make you, you, you know, you fall down and you go, oh, and, you're, and you kind of go, have I got this? Can I do this? But every time for me, whatever is happening inside of me, it was no more in, get up, whatever it is. So they, so I didn't become a district judge when they, they rejected me as a district judge. And, I, and I'm going to say very clearly, for me, that was all about being black. Mm-hmm. not going to say what it was and a woman. And then I applied to become um, uh, a QC. Yeah, I applied to become a, ju- a judge of the high court, not back. And when I saw the, the, um, the responses as to why, it was like, you know what? And literally, that, with my teeth, that's what I did not having this because it again made me feel less than you know you're not good enough for this no. so you can't, be good, you can't be good enough anyway I picked myself up as I did and I said right reinvent yourself again because it's quite important that you do that and know that you've got different skills so um, the chambers fell apart and so I never had chambers to work from so there was another decision that I made to set up my own chambers so I'm in my own chambers. I've been in my own chambers since 2013, and I'm still there. 
And I say it like that because that is a feat. So I set up on my own and I have been in business on my own. And one thing that I've actually picked up from both your stories is that to succeed um, in the fields that you've both been in, you need a lot of resilience and you need a lot of perseverance because the legal field is very class-based. But I'm assuming so is the political field. Maureen, why did you then decide to join the Women's Equality Party? And what, what is it that was your motivation to join? Guess who? Guess whose fault that is? You see that woman there? <laughs> Christine again. So I had reinvented myself. I run a little charity doing emotional intelligence and resilience building. That's all out there. That helped me to balance the work in the law because uh-huh. the law is, as Christine said, quite it's nasty. That's what I'm going to describe it. And so I needed something to balance. So I became um, this um, e- emotional intelligence facilitator. So I raised awareness around the importance of emotional intelligence and why it's actually key. They are key skills that you need to journey in your life. So anyway, there I was trying to juggle all these things. I do a lot of other things. I ran a you know a community radio station and was on that talking about EQ stuff. So Christine, I mean, it was a very simple request. There was no fan or fair or anything like big. She just said to me, I think, you know, the Women's Equality Party would benefit from you coming on board. And I don't, before that, I had not joined any kind of political party. Mm-hmm. So it was literally because Christine said, and that's how much faith and <laughs> how much respect I have for Christine, because, you know, she ain't gonna, she just wouldn't be selling me something that she really was not passionate about and didn't mm-hmm. think that it would kind of fit with me so I didn't hesitate really although I hadn't been in politics before and I'm not going to lie this journey is a bit hard mm-hmm. because I, I mean we'll, we'll, we'll really come fun. back to the challenges a bit later you, you're both running for um seats on the Greater London Assembly now I don't know very much about the Greater London Assembly so I'm, I'm wondering Christine could you tell us a little bit about the Assembly what does it do uh, the Greater London Assembly is sort of like the main sort of authoritative body that sort of runs some of these functions that happen in in Greater in Greater London, effectively. So the mayor, who's also the police commissioner, effectively has a lot of power in relation to transport, um, in relation to buildings, um, police, definitely um, in London and sort of various sort of public type um, issues, effectively. So they impact our daily lives when we go in and out of London, across London, how we live in London, what sort of buildings, infrastructure, tourism, all that sort of thing. So the, the mayor has power and lots of money to spend in terms of a budget across London. Um, and what happens with regards to the London Assembly is that um, there are elected members, 26 in total, who, who hold the mayor to account. Um, and it's run on the, the, the party political basis that the mayor is first past the post um, in terms of who becomes mayor. The, there are 14 constituencies um, made up of basically lumping lots of London boroughs together. Mm-hmm. And that is also a first past the post um, election with various political parties. And then the list, which is what me and Mooring are on, is basically proportional representation. And it's how small parties if you're very lucky and <laughs> work hard, get representation so that they can also hold the mayor to account. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to promote diversity of thought, diversity of thinking, diversity of um, representation, and also, you know, make sure that small voices are heard. Um, that's the objective 
in terms of holding the mayor to account and that everybody's viewpoint is supposed to be represented when they're looking at how they're doing their planning, roads, etc., and policing and so on. So that's more or less what the assembly is in a nutshell and how people get um, elected to it. And so Maureen and I are on the list um, for the Women's Equality Party. You can have up to 25 people on the list. We've got 13. Um, <laughs> and each party, whoever wants to put people forward, basically it's done by a percentage of the vote across London. So depending on your percentage, and if you have 5%, you get at least one person elected, and then everything else is divided proportionally above that, determining how much percentage of the vote you have, depends how many people you get off your list onto the, onto the actual assembly. So basically, I was going to say that you need, as a party, to be able to get 5% of the vote to be able yes. to get the candidate. Yeah, and so 2016, when we were first, um, the party was first formed, because we're only five years old, mm-hmm. um, the, that was uh, the, the London election, the Assembly elections took place, and we, so we were six months in effectively, and we got 3.6% of the vote okay. then. So we're really, really optimistic that we've been around such a long time now. We've got a fantastic leader, we've got fantastic candidates and excellent policies that uh, we think that we should get at least 5%. Um, I'm second on the list. We do it sort of with an election in, within the party. And the the way you stand on the list depends on how much you received in terms of the vote. And I got um, second place. So our first candidate is uh, Harini Iyengar. Um, and if we get 5%, then she's definitely in. And then anything <laughs> after that, hopefully if it's high enough, between 6 and 7%, then that would mean a second candidate. And then if we get more than that, then we get a third candidate and so on. So we're, we're hoping that we've got a realistic chance of getting at least two candidates in, but we really want all 11. And that's, and that's what we're aiming for. I just wanted to check, what, what are some of the policies that the women's equalities actually advocating what is it that you stand for who is it that you represent i think let christine christine address some of those things but before she does let me just tell you what my perspective is about wep and the women's equality party and the essential the essential 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 thing is that equality is brought to the center of all decisions that are made for everyone within our society Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the kind of over kind of view, certainly from my perspective and how I see and why I'm part of WEP, is that we can't live in a society where there is not equality. Yeah. It doesn't work. Currently, we're working in a broken society. We need to make that change so that we're not broken and that equality centres everything we do. So I will say that because that's really the message I always give whenever I'm asked about it. In essentially, what, when you when you start to talk about equality, equality, you know that it's inclusive. You yeah. know that it's everyone. It's not mm-hmm. only this group or that group, which is what others would want you to believe in order to marginalise your significance in the political arena. But when you, if you really understand equality, you know we can't be marginalised. We are at the centre of it, and it's so important that everyone must stand up and listen and hear, and then agree. Change your mindset. So I'm saying that, and that's what I'll leave it to Christine to deal with the nitty gritty, if you don't mind. Yeah. 
I mean, the, 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 the Women's Equality Party um, have seven main objectives. I won't list them all, but their overarching position, as Maureen said, is equality centred through everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their main campaign um, platform is ending violence against women and girls. And that's the, one of the biggest things that we champion. Um, and I am the movement builder on the policy committee for ending violence against women and girls. Um, and we have basically campaigned on a strategy of trying to ensure that no woman is turned away from a refuge, that the government and the London Assembly fully fund places for women in London, but really across the UK in terms of having appropriate provision, i.e. enough places, and that there's an holistic, pro- an holistic approach, i.e. it's not just getting into the refuge, it's about all the things that you need in terms of being able to start your life again, um, with being able to have the quite the right mental health care for yourself and your children, being able to move on to a home. So we've got homelessness package in relation to what we're suggesting on how the mayor should spend the money to make sure people have got women have got somewhere to move on to, and also in terms of dealing with perpetrators of domestic violence and education effectively. So dealing with the perpetrators, but also educating from within schools and within uh, the men in our community to say that we are not the problem, they are the problem, and what we need to focus on is changing their attitudes rather than us having to adapt our behaviour in order to keep ourselves safe. So in terms of um, ending violence against women and girls, we want London to be a sanctuary city, so that also includes migrant women, i.e. women that have no recourse to public funds, Um, they can't access uh, a lot of the services because the services are funded by benefits and the benefit system is made in such a way that women with no recourse to public funds can't access it. So we're saying that there should be ring fence money for these women to pay for their bed space, but also to give them an allowance and extra money for their children so that they can actually live and survive and thrive and then move on. Um, so we are inclusive in terms of we're saying every woman needs a, a safety um, and everybody, sh- every woman in London should be included in that the funding and the figures and being thought of in terms of their equality with regards to being protected. We also are very, very concerned about coming out of the pandemic and the impact that it's had on women in terms of their employment they are the ones that have been impacted the most with regards to losing their jobs or having to give up their jobs because of not having proper childcare provision. So basically what we're saying is that we should have a care-led economy um, when we come out of the pandemic and it should be led by the the infrastructure of care in terms of childcare, but also care for the elderly and other other forms of care should be shored up. And the government needs to understand that if women are not able to have proper um, provision in terms of care, they cannot work. Women contribute, you know, equally, in, you know, a vast amount of the economy within London, mm-hmm. and they're 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 on most of the frontline services. Most of the people that they were all calling, you know, the 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 first aiders or the first responders, as it were, in terms of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and all of those professions have, have suffered in relation to the economics in terms of their ability to regain themselves and get back to where they were pre-pandemic. So we're saying that the, the government's approach and the London Assembly approach should be care-led and, 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 and they should focus on that as an infrastructure. So those are the two main ones in terms of policies that we're campaigning on. Um, we have many others in terms of equal health, equal education, equal parenting. Um, yeah, I could list some more, but basically equality at the beginning of everything. But basically women need to be at the focus in terms of getting back into the economy, but also being kept safe. And I think those are the two things that I would champion.
I want to come back to you on the issue of uh, equality, Maureen. But, but before I do that, uh, Christine, you mentioned that you want to make London a sanctuary, part one of the policies to make London a sanctuary for migrant women. I, I completely understand why you'd want to do that. But dwindling resources, we have been living in austerity for the last um, 10, um, however many years. Mm-hmm. And there's very little money to go around for people who already live in London. Do you not think that adopting that policy, you're going to alienate some Londoners? I mean, these are some, these are some of the things that when I speak to people, they some of the reasons they give for voting for parties like the Brexit Party, mm-hmm. because they feel that their, their, their needs are not being prioritised. So do you not feel that perhaps by adopting such a policy, you are alienating some of your voters? No, because when you say there's not enough money to go around, that's not actually true. The mayor has a £70 million budget um, where he can actually decide where that money is spent. And there's currently unallocated funds in relation to that. And what we're saying is to the mayor, allocate the funds, some of it, not all of it, but some of it towards um, um, funding for migrant women who have no recourse to public funds. Mm -hmm. The mayor has a lot of discretion in deciding how and where he spends that money. I mean, you remember Boris Johnson how much money did he spend on that bridge that went nowhere? Thousands and thousands, millions of pounds on a bridge just for design and, you know, consultants and what have you. And in the end, do we have a bridge? No, we don't. That was money wasted. Mm -hmm. There are other projects that, you know, the the London Assembly wastes money on vanity projects, as I would call them, where they make a decision to uh, spend money on things that people don't actually really need. You know, and it's very male dominated. It's very male led. It's very, you know, let's build something. Let's put on a hard hat. Let's wear a high vis jumper and say, look, this is what we're doing for London. And women sitting around the table would say, no, actually, can we have a proper nursery? Can we have a proper, you know, bus routes that actually go where we want it to go? Can we have fares that we can actually afford so that we can get our nurses and doctors, you know, and, you know, basically service workers to places that they need to go to give Londoners what they need. So it's about a change of perspective and not how much money, but where you spend the money is the issue. And that's why, we, that's why we're saying the budget is there. The, the mayor has a lot of power and it needs to be spent in the right places. And we're not taking anything away from anyone. What we're doing is saying, let's redistribute and give everybody a chance for equality within London. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, coming back to you, Maureen, on that uh, issue of equality, um, we are a black women's podcast and this pandemic has affected black women more than anybody else, financially and mentally. So I want to know from you how you're going to ensure that there is equality for black women, that all our voices are heard rather than um, us voting and then nothing ever changing. Right. So the very first thing I'm going to say is that equality is the centre of everything. And therefore, if we are able to achieve our aim of bringing equality to all decisions that are made for Londoners, then naturally it will have a positive impact on black women without any shadow of a doubt in Mm -hmm. any of the industries that they are. So the task is a huge one. The task is one that is um, doable, but you have to have and you must bring the mindsets of everyone towards it because at the moment people don't really understand equality and certainly the way it's perceived in the media and how it's presented is this is about taking something away from one and therefore uh, leaving people without uh, and there and, and other people will gain and it has to be repeated that that's not the case now i'm a black woman 
Mm-hmm. So I can say I can say this to you without a shadow of a doubt. I have not been helped at all in the entire time I've lived in London as a black woman. There's no help. You have to go out and you have to get the whatever it is that you need. I'm in a black room that experienced all of the things, domestic violence. My story is one that everyone who hears what I have to say will understand that the reasons that I've experienced the things that I've experienced is all due to inequality, mm-hmm. all due to unfairness in every structure. So I'm not in a position to guarantee anyone, you know, what they, what you've just asked. How am I going to guarantee black women that they're going to achieve equality or, or going to have equality if they vote for WEP? All I can say to you is this, that journey to equality is a huge one. Mm-hmm. It will not happen overnight. And I will not tell people lies by saying, oh, by you 2014 or 25, we will achieve X, Y, and Z. No, what you have to understand is that the mindset change that comes with equality means everything shifts. Mm-hmm. Everything shifts. So that the answer is, I can guarantee you that if the mindset in the people of London changes from the current mindset, which is that they're happy for first past the post, irrespective, and you know, ignoring the rest of the people who didn't vote, and all of the things that come with the current political system, if you change your mindset to one of no, we don't want that. We ex we we clearly understand that equality must reign. It's the only thing that will work. And then what happens is once you've got that mindset change, you then look at the various aspects of your society and where that's now going to shift and change. So you get, you know, the whole issue about childcare, the whole issue about domestic violence and violence in itself. Because remember this thing about violence, it's not about, oh, only women and girls. Once you eradicate violence through quality, that affects everyone. It affects boys. It affects men. Do you know how many men, and this is the thing that people don't really understand, are are locked in to this system that doesn't fit them either? Mm-hmm. You know, those things in society that says a man or a boy must be this or that, that is all part of inequality too, because not all men and boys are going to want to fit in and should fit in to this thing that is not equality. So what I'm saying is, I hope it answers the question is I can't guarantee anything because I'm one individual cannot and I wouldn't lie and say to you by a certain date this is going to happen but I know this that you center equality you bring equality back and I say that back I don't say oh we're creating something new we this is where we start from we as human beings on this planet we're all equal nobody has any kind of no one's got any advantage. But the structure of the political system in which we all live, and this is across the globe, has meant that men have taken and made decisions about everyone. And those decisions have been poor. And we know they're poor. We know they are. We just have to look in society. We don't have to sort of say this one or that one, this one or that one. <laughs> we have to know just by looking that something's quite wrong. So I do hope in my explanation, I've I've kind of given the groundwork, which is mindset change of everyone to yeah. equality is the key. And when the, once you've got that key, that's the doorway and everyone's walking through that door instead of a door that says inequality, injustice, unfairness and nastiness. And, the, and they stop walking through that door and they close it. Then 
once your the door has been opened you then start to see the differences because everyone who's working in an equality field will never take a step or action that's going to have an adverse effect on another human being it just won't happen now that's my vision and i i hold dear to it that is what i stand on and if people ask me that's what i'm going to say now it may not satisfy everyone because they will want to know well what's going to happen tomorrow well i'm going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow you're going to change your mindset and once you do that and you understand <laughs> you made that decision, we're already on the right road. And it's then all the steps we take are going to achieve what we want. So I hope that's helpful. Absolutely. And that, that did answer my question. I just wanted to ask just one further question relating to, to what you've just said. We do have more listeners. Now, when I tell guys, I, you know, I, I support the Women's Equality Party, they normally roll their eyes and say, oh, that's just a single issue party. I just really wanted to clarify to our male listeners why it is beneficial for them to support the Women's Equality Party and the work that you're doing. I would echo everything that Maureen has said, and we are not a single issue because women are 50% of the population. And therefore, you know, in terms of the issues that impact everyone, they impact us as well. So it's not just one issue, it's every issue in relation to the Women's Equality Party. And we see everything through a feminist lens, which means that we should be equal. Mm -hmm. Um, We are pushing the other parties to do better. Quite a lot of the time, even though where we, when we stood for election, we haven't won. What we've actually done is push the other parties to do better. Uh, and a prime example of that is in the last election when there, we stood five women in five um, seats where men had been accused of sexual abuse um, or sexual harassment. They all stood down. So we didn't win election, but we made sure that those men who were inappropriate to be MPs anywhere did not stand and represent their local communities. So people that had a better view and more equal view in terms of how um, people should behave and what policies should be put in place, those people were elected instead. We we come from the basis that sexual violence is the root of a lot of ills in relation to society. So it impacts everything, including housing and transport and all the things that impact people um, across London. So it's not a single issue. It's a core issue and it's a root cause issue. But basically it feeds into everything. So once people understand that, they understand that we are dealing with all issues that impact everyone across London, not just one issue. Um, The Women's Equality Party is making a difference. We are trying to make a difference. And it's what we are saying is, is that through our lived experience, if you vote for us and you have us on the London Assembly, then you have a chance um, to open the doors in terms of changing mindsets and have voices that are normally drowned out heard um, because everybody around that um, Assembly table has an equal opportunity to speak up and challenge the mayor. So it may be a one or two voices or even just one voice but it will still be heard like everybody else's and we have an equal opportunity to expose what's going on and to challenge and to try and make change so that's why i would say you should vote for the women's equality party on the orange ballot paper on the 6th of may our listeners if they want to vote for you how do they vote for you okay what the they should do is um when you get your ballot papers you will have three different ballot papers um, and the women's equality list candidates are on the orange ballot paper. Um, and you can only make one cross on that paper. And we will be, it's alphabetical, so there's two columns. And at the bottom of the second column is Women's Equality Party. 
And what we're asking you to do is to make your cross in the box near the name, against the name of the Women's Equality Party on the orange ballot paper on the 6th of May. And that is our best chance of getting a seat on the London Assembly, because I, as I said before, it is proportional representation. So it's by percentage of the vote across London. And basically, if we get 5%, then we get one person. It's guaranteed. And then after that, everything is divided over and over again by percentage. And if you're still within the percentage bracket, then you get a next candidate. And I'm number two on the list. And we really believe that we have a good chance of getting at least two candidates. Because last time around, the Greens up to UKIP got two candidates mm-hmm. with about, I think it was about 7.8 or 8% of the vote. So um, we're running against them this time. But we think now that we're five years in and much more mature of a party and people know more about us and we have an absolutely fantastic leader, Mandu Reid, who's running for the mayoral position, mm-hmm. we have a really good chance of getting at least one candidate. So orange ballot paper, um, Women's Equality Party on the 6th of May. And basically in every borough, we'll have the opportunity to be able to cast a vote for you. Yes, because in every borough, every single person in London who is registered to vote will get, when they go into the voting booth or in their postal vote, three ballot papers. So you have a chance to vote for the mayor, you have a chance to vote for your constituency candidate, and you have a chance to vote for the party on the list candidate paper. So you have three papers. We're asking you to share your vote with us. Because if you want to vote for someone else, for mayor or for your constituency, feel free, go ahead, and then just give us one of your three votes um, <laughs> On the, on the orange ballot paper so that basically you can have representation from your party for either the list or constituency and then give us a share so that you get diversity on the orange ballot paper with the Women's Equality Party and hopefully a black or Asian candidate sitting there at the centre of decision making, bringing our lived experience and your experience to the table. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think the question a, a while back was, you know, why should the voters vote for, for WET uh, as opposed to any other party? So I'm going to take, say two very distinct things. First of all, we need to revolutionise uh, the political system. It's stuck, old, and it doesn't meet requ- you know, the requirements of us any longer. So it, you will be brave and courageous when you step out and you vote for WET, because you're saying very clearly to the world and everyone who's listening, we don't want what we've had. We want something new. And WET represents that newness. But not just newness, it clearly represents something radical in terms of political, uh, the political field. Because here, we don't talk about first past the post. Here, we don't talk about things that means that someone loses or there's a loser or a winner. We say everything that is to do with us must be dealt with on an equal basis. Mm. Nobody loses. No one. There is no loss. And you can't speak about equality and loss in the same sentence because it doesn't work. Or injustice or injustice or unfairness. It's not there. So I wanted also to give an example of how this is demonstrated in the policies that we have. We've got an environmental policy. We've got one that deals with the globe and the planet and the environment. And I just want to draw to the attention of our pop, you know, of the London populace. This recently we had it decided in the court that the pollution in London caused 
the death of a girl, young <laughs> child. Now, this is a, a phenomenal thing that has happened in terms of the decision, not her death, which is clearly regrettable and should not have happened. And we now must ensure it happens to no other child. Mm-hmm. Um, and that decision that said that the environment caused her death is mammoth. And it clearly shows and demonstrates that when we start to talk out and speak on the environment, that we're talking about everyone. So we're not talking about women's issues. This was a child. So it's a child's issue. So we incorporate and we take on board all things that affect everyone in our community. So that is men, women, children. Do you understand the environment? Mm -hmm. The environment reflects back to us what we need. And currently the environment is not helped uh, by, you know, the the policies and and some of the uh, manner in which not just local government, but central government deal with the environment. So that's my message to those who are listening. It's Mm -hmm. not a single issue. The environment affects all of us. And the death of a child, because the environment is so poor, cannot be allowed to go unanswered. And we will hold, as a party, the the, uh, uh, mayor to account to ensure that there are more things done to make sure that our environment is cleaner and that deaths of children or anyone because of the environment are eradicated. So that's what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. That That orange ballot sheet is your powerful message that you have got the ability to change things and you have to really believe that you can. So voting on that orange ballot is, um, as I've said, a brave and courageous step because you tell everyone that you're not prepared to deal with things as they they have formerly been dealt with. Mm -hmm. So that's my message. Be brave, be courageous, see that orange ballot as your freedom, your ticket to freedom and not anything else. It is a vote well cast. And I would just finally remind everyone that we have a government who's going to try and take away proportional representation. Mm-hmm. So in three years' time, we may not have this system. And what, as part of one of the things we will be looking at, is ensuring that proportional representation is not eradicated. But it is the only way that the voices of the people can be heard in the system. I hope that's helpful. That's very helpful. And you you have put through a really strong, uh, you've given me very strong reasons why I should vote for you. So definitely, very definitely helpful. And finally, I just wanted to know, I mean, if listeners wanted to get in touch with you or if people wanted to join or even donate to the Women's Equality Party, how do they do so? Uh, with the Women's Equality Party has um, a website, so you can mm-hmm. go onto the website, which is www.womensequalityparty.org.uk, um, and there you will find um, ways that you can register, ways that you can take part in campaigning. Um, we're currently doing um, phone banking, we're doing leaflet delivery, all leading up to the local election, so you can find a way to take part. Um, from your home um, you don't have to go out onto the street if you don't want to but there's all various different ways that you can um, take part I um, have a Twitter and Instagram page and the handle is the same so it's at 
Wep Christine, and then you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram on those um, handles. Um, I'm soon to launch a Facebook page, but I'll put links into the the, the uh, social media so you can find that as well. So that's how you can find me and Wep. And how about you, Maureen? How can we find you? How can listeners get in touch with you? Now, I have Facebook links, so you can look up my name. So I'm on Facebook. There is the Twitter which is at, so it's at Maureen Wep, I think, at Maureen Wep. And you can go onto my website for my work, which is www.familymatters.uk.com. Mm-hmm. Or the other website I have, which is www.thisonefamilymatters.org.uk. And you can see the work around um, emotional intelligence and resilience building. Well, let's just put in this way. You both have convinced me uh, that I should vote for the Women's Equality, equality Party. Oh, yes. Life, I'm glad. life for everybody would be much better if we actually had policies that you are advocating. So definitely, I am convinced. Unfortunately, have run out of time. So I just really want to say thank you so, so much for taking time out of your busy schedules today uh, to talk to me. Um, I am going to be putting all your contact details on our website, as well as on our Instagram and Twitter page. I just really want to say thank you, thank you once again, and good luck. And I really do hope that you get all the seats that you're running for. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. Thank you. And thank you to you listeners for tuning in. We will add the contact details for Christine and Maureen on our episode notes and on our website, sfgpod.com. So be sure to check them out. Please send us your comments, questions or feedback to sfgpod at gmail.com or via Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for sisters, friends and guests. And finally, don't forget to share the podcast with your sisters and with your friends. Till next time.